Welcome to the Celebration Church Orlando podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope it encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. It is so good to to see your faces. For those who are joining us online, welcome. We're so glad that you're here with us today. And for those of you guys who who came out today, man, I'm, I'm... I'm, I'm blown away, man, at, at the time of this recording. For those who may be checking this out later, man, we, we, we're in the middle of a, a monsoon, it almost seems like, but yet y'all still showed up at church. Y'all the real OGs right now. Give it up for yourselves for coming into the church. And, and, and there's a moment, there's something that I, that I, that I forgot to mention, and I, I, I'm completely, I'm sorry for, for doing that. I want to pray really quick right now. There's something that's really important. At 1 p.m., um, the Philadelphia Eagles, God's team, is playing against the Tampa Bay demonic, um, I mean, the security. Um, we know that the Eagles are God's team. Thank you so much, Corey. Thank you. Please escort her out. There's another church for her down the street. Um, this, is, this is God's house that we believe in making sure that we support God's team. Um, <laughs> I, I heard word I, every time I have these moments. My man Sean always comes through with his Pittsburgh um, regalia on. And so I do want to pray now because you know how we always say we're believing God for what he's going to do in the future. Let's go ahead and pray that God comforts him now for the loss that they're going to experience today. Um, we're believing God's peace and blessings uh, to be with you. Um, but but let's, let's jump into it. I'm, I'm really excited about today's word, man. I, I really am. If you have your Bibles, um, I want you to join me in um, Genesis chapter 15. While, while you're turning there, I want to uh, remind you that we're in our Make Room series. And, and the idea of this series is really built off of the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 30, where John the Baptist, the, the forerunner, the one who kind of set the tone for Jesus to come and perform his ministry, he makes this statement when Jesus comes on the scene. He says that, I must decrease in order for him to increase. The, the ultimate thought for us in this series is this, if we want to see more of God, it has to be less of us. It is so hard for us to experience an overflow of God if we are full of ourselves. So we need to make room. Look at the things in our lives that we need to audit and to edit so that way we can make room for what God has for us. We truly believe that when we make room, we make progress. So it's now picking up here at Genesis chapter 15, looking here at, at verse number one, the, the, the Bible says this. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and he said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, oh Lord, what good are all of these blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you have not given me any children, Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, no, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you're going to have. And Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness because of his faith. I want to pause there to kind of set a precedence here. This is, this is the first instance that we see in Scripture. Again, I mean, we're Genesis, so we're only one chapter in. But this sets the tone that righteousness is found in faith and not in works. Abraham, if you're familiar with the story of Abraham, you often may hear songs like, oh, Abraham who had many sons. You may hear about Abraham being the father of the faith. The reason why we make that statement is because we see for the first time in Scripture that, that true salvation, that true righteousness is not found in behavior, it's found in belief. And because we believe, it changes our behavior. 
It's a radical idea that, that religion somehow has gotten wrong where we often make people believe that you have to behave in order to belong. But the kingdom of God says that you belong well before you behave because of faith. Abram had set the tone for what that looks like. So now here at verse number seven, it says that then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, how can, you be, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? The Lord told him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, uh, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abram presented all these things to him and killed them. He cut each animal down the middle and laid them in halves by the side, but he did not, however, cut the birds in half. I know that's a little grotesque. It's a little barbaric. It's Old Testament. Thank God Peter wasn't back then. But, but here's, here's the point. The point was that God was trying to establish this idea of what a covenant is. Whenever a covenant was established, it required the cutting of something. And then what would happen is God would come in and he would walk in the middle of the sacrifice. And what he was saying is, if I don't fulfill my word, what has happened to the animals, let that happen to me. That was the way of God saying, I'm so committed to what I'm saying that as we slaughter these animals, if I don't come through on my promise, then let what happened to those animals happen to me. This is why when we see the ultimate, um, the ultimate culmination of Jesus' death on the cross, it should give us some encouragement because Jesus' death on the cross was the ultimate culmination of the perfect sacrifice. So when we come to church, when we have moments where we're feeling a little bit weak, we should be encouraged in knowing that if God doesn't fulfill what he says he's going to do, then what has happened to Jesus is going to happen to him. That's encouraging. That's how covenants are established, that God is so, so faithful to his word that he's willing to literally put his existence on the line if he doesn't follow through. Aren't you grateful that we serve a God that is willing to send such a strong message to us and saying that I am for you and that I am with you? Verse number 11, our last verse, it says this, and some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away. Today, I want to talk to us a little bit about those moments when, when the Word of God, the person of God, the, the leading and prompting of God encounters our reality, and it requires us to make some adjustments to bring ourselves into alignment. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. My topic for today is entitled, Shift Gears. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your people. We thank you for this community. And we thank you for moments like this where we can come together and honor you. Lord, I pray over the next few moments that you give us open eyes to see you, open ears to hear you, and open hearts to receive everything that you have for us. Holy Spirit, we invite you uh, to challenge us, to, to confront us, to encourage us, and to lead us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen. I've been, I've been thinking a little bit about just different moments in my life that I consider to kind of serve as, as, as milestones as I'm trying to do a better job at communicating to, to, my, to my children different things that I found important when I was coming up. And I still remember vividly that, that moment when I feel like I, I shifted into a new dimension. And that is when I went to the car dealership and bought my first brand new car, no co-signer, all on my own. Boy, had good credit. And it was 1996 to be exact, and it was a Volkswagen Jetta. You couldn't tell me nothing. Cream interior, sunroof, had the rims, had the system, had the speakers you could hear for blocks. That's how I got Megan. Megan saw me, was like, okay, that's going to be my husband. Like, it was, your, your, boy, your, boy, was, your boy was on one. But so I, I remember that moment when I, when I knew that I wanted to go and get this vehicle. But I also knew that I wanted to get a stick shift. Anybody in here remember what a manual transmission is? Stick shift? Anybody old enough to remember what those are? 
Very few. If you Google it, it'll show you what that looks like. Um, but a manual transmission is where you actually have control of the power, but it requires you to, to put some things into gear. Here's the problem. I, I didn't know how to drive a stick shift, but something in my mind told me that when you have manual transmission, that when you can drive a stick shift, that then you are indeed a real man. I felt like it was something about it. It's like anybody can drive an automatic. A real man can drive a stick shift. So I went to the, I went to the library. Um, anybody remember what libraries are? Couple of us, couple of us. Um, so if you imagine Google, put it in a building, that's what libraries were. So at the time, there was no Google. So I went to um, a library and checked out a book on how to actually drive a manual transmission. Like that's how dedicated I was. So I read the chapters on it, understanding the sequences and nuances of it. So then I'm ready. I go to the car dealership. I'm talking with the um, salesman and I say, okay, I, this is the car that I want. This is exactly what I'm looking for, um, but I don't know how to drive it. He said, oh, no problem. So he takes me to the back parking lot and he allows me to drive around while I'm trying to figure it out. I'm butchering this clutch. I'm, I'm grinding the gears. I'm stalling out nonstop. Like it was, it was absolutely awful. But I finally begin to kind of eventually get my, get my rhythm. Um, I get into second gear. I'm able to get into third gear. But because like we're in a back parking lot, you can only go um, but so fast. So I, I figure that all out. I'm like, okay. He's like, are you ready to sign the paperwork? I'm like, yes but not for that car because that clutch is done. Go get me another one, and then I'll meet you inside the office. And he absolutely did it. So we signed the paperwork. I'm filled with so much excitement. I feel like a grown man. And now the moment of truth happens. I'm pulling off the lot, and I'm thinking to myself, what in the world have I done? I have a 45-minute drive, and I have no clue of how I'm going to get home. I have no idea, honestly, what I'm doing. Like, uh, this is literally where the rubber hits the road. I pull out, and, and, I'm, and I'm driving, and I'm figuring out first gear, get into second gear, and then I'm, I'm stalling out sometimes because I'm forgetting to hit the clutch when I'm coming to a stop. It's, it's, a, it's a messy process. But then the most terrifying thing in the world happens, and that is that moment when you find yourself on a hill, and somebody is all up on your bumper like, bro, give me six feet. I know we're not in the middle of the pandemic, but give me a little bit of space. So now, now I'm on this hill. This car is really close up on my bumper, so I got to put my foot ultimately all the way on the gas to try to get out, and I spin out. It's like Fast and Furious before they went into space. Um, Okay, so, 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 I'm, this, I'm, 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 so I'm trying to figure it out. So I'm, I'm driving, and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm getting my sequences down. But then there's this other moment where I had to get on the highway, and here's the thing. Up to that point, I've gotten fairly decent at the hills. I got fairly decent at stopping and not stalling out. But now I got to get onto the highway. And so I get onto the highway, I get it into third gear, and your boy is good. I take my hand off the wheel. I mean, off, not off the wheel. That would be terrible. I take my hand off of the stick shift, and now I'm driving. But as I'm driving, I'm recognizing now I'm trying to keep up with traffic, and the engine starts getting louder and louder because I'm not in gear. So I didn't realize that, hey, it goes beyond third gear. So I'm like, oh, snap. So like after a while and the car is like shaking and, and, and like things that a new car should just not do, I finally realized, that, oh, there's other gears I got to shift into. So I, I shifted to fourth gear, fifth gear, and then things got a lot smoother. See, when I was reading the books, all the things that I read, I was, I was intellectually trying to check off all the boxes. But when it came to shifting gears, I just had to feel it. There's some things you just got to feel it for yourself that it doesn't translate on books. It doesn't translate in what other people say. Like, you just got to feel it for yourself. So I am grinding the gears, but I finally got to a place where I learned how to feel when it was time to shift gears. Because here's the important thing about shifting gears. You have to shift gear to engage where the power is. See, when you're, when you're not in the right gear... The problem is there's another power, there's another, there's another thing that you have access to, but as long as you're in the wrong gear, you're capping out your potential. 
The truth of the matter is, I recognize that there's many of us that we have recognized that there is moments in our lives that we are not in gear, that there's areas of our lives where we're in neutral. There's areas of our lives where we can't seem to get out of second gear. And no matter what we try to do, it seems like we're stuck there. But I believe that my assignment here today is to encourage you that it is time for you to shift gears, that God has given you permission to shift gears, that grace, you have the grace to shift gears, that there's a moment that we all recognize where you just got to feel that I can't stay here any longer. I can't be in this place any longer. It is time for me to shift gears. I have to shift gears to engage where the power is. This is what God is ultimately encouraging every single one of us. And I believe I'm talking to one of three people, those of us who are in neutral, where we're not in any gear and we're just allowing the winds and the waves and the hills to determine our momentum. I think there's other of us who are maybe in first gear, second gear, but we can't seem to get out of that gear that we're in, that gear of comfort, because God wants to do a new thing in us. We're not engaging the power of God, but I also believe there's some of us who are in a gear too high, stalling out on the verge of burning out because we're trying to, we're trying to accomplish something that God didn't give us the grace to do. It's possible to be out of, out of gear when our ambition outpaces our grace. And just because you have to downshift to engage where the power is doesn't mean you have to downgrade your dreams. Sometimes you need to right-size where you are to engage where the power of God is instead of allowing your ambition to outpace grace. But I believe that God has sent me here to tell you this. It is time for you to get it into gear. It is time for you to begin to move forward. It is time for you to shift gears. This is really ultimately what we're talking about when we look at this passage that we find ourselves in. That we find ourselves looking at, at Abram, who up to this point has had a very challenging life. He was called by God. He was called to do some amazing things, called to have a, a children and, and all the impact he was called to do. But ultimately, everything that God called him to do became the very areas that he faced resistance in. He was dealing with tension with his family when God said you're going to have an increase of family. He was dealing with tension with resources when God said you're going to be abundantly blessed. Is it interesting that there's moments where we hear a word from God and then we begin to recognize that the very thing that he promises that he's going to give us is the thing that seems the most absent right now? Abram's at a point where he's, he's understandably exhausted. Abram's at a point where after many years of waiting for the promises of God to come to fruition, that he just hasn't seen it in his life. He just came back from going to war, and he's understandably exhausted. So when God speaks to him, when God shows up to him, God begins the conversation by doing a couple of things. The first thing he does is he reminds him that he's blessed. But Abram can't reconcile the word of God with his reality. But then God begins to follow up with this statement. I am the God who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees. Here's why that's so significant. Because God was giving him coded language to say, remember when you were trapped in paganism and you were away from me. R remember when you were destitute. R remember when you didn't have any promises. I'm the God who led you from a place of bondage. I'm the God who led you to a place of victory. I'm the God that led you through Egypt that gave you provision. I'm the God that also allowed that even when your nephew Lot was taken hostage for you to successfully go and be victorious in retrieving him. I am the same God who has brought you through all these other seasons, and I'm the same God that is with you right now. I believe that is a message for somebody right now, because right now we are looking at what we don't have, but I believe that I'm here to tell you that he's the same God that brought you out of that broken relationship. He's the same God that brought you healing. He's the same God that gave you the job you had before, so he's going to give you the job that you're going to have next. That he's the same God that has brought you through things that you never thought you would survive. He is the same God, and those are the things that we anchor our faith in. That if God did it for them, if God did it then, then God is with me now, and he's going to do it for my future. He is the same God. 
This is the, this is the moment where, where Abram is now confronted with the, the power and presence of God, and God begins to speak some words to him that's going to require him to have to shift gears. I believe that this is a, a, a description of what happens with, with Abram, but I believe it's also a prescription of what we need to do. I want you to write these three things down that I think can be an encouragement for you. Here's the first thing that we got to do if we're really trying to make room for God and shift and get things into gear. We have to shift our walk. We have to shift the way that we walk. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says that we walk by faith and not by sight. That's the instruction of God's word, that there's, there's a place where we walk by faith and not by sight. You know, as I'm, I'm, I'm looking at my, my life right now, and this past Friday we had the, the, the privilege of, of celebrating my son Caleb's 18th birthday. That, that boy's a man now. That's right. He's at that age now where you got to start chipping in type vibes. And, but, but for me, it's, it's, it's wild to me because I still remember when we, when we brought him home. And, and I remember just like this growth process. And, and one of the things that, that I vividly remember is when he first learned how to walk. And I mean, he was, a, he was a terror. Let's just be clear. He was a terror. Like he was all over the house just, just tearing stuff up. And he completely skipped the crawling process. Like Megan and I thought we had a little bit more time, but he skipped crawling, went from his back to straight, running through the house, ransacking everything. And, and so I remember those moments where he was completely fearless, like unstoppable. You couldn't tell this boy nothing. And so even when he would look at the steps, like he's like, okay, good, I got that. But it's inevitable, every parent's fear, but also every parent's reality. There's a moment where you're not looking, you turn your head for a second, he's up on like the second step, and then he's not paying attention in his little infant way, and he falls down. And when he falls down, like it's immediate, like it's like the biggest crisis, where like we're wondering if we need to rush him to ER, none of that stuff. He just slid on the step. But he was so scared. He's so small, he was so scared. But, but here's this fascinating thing that took place. I remember since that moment, even at a young age, his brain was like, cool. Steps mean pain. So where he used to walk so confidently around our house, the steps became this thing, this object that was, in, that was interestingly enough, a reminder of where he experienced pain. So where he used to walk confidently, he began to walk in fear. Isn't it interesting sometimes in our lives where if we experience enough pain, if we experience enough disappointment, it changes the way that we walk around things. Like if you're in, if you have, if you've experienced like a heartbreak in a relationship, it changes the way that you walk around relationships. If, if, you've, experienced, if you've experienced betrayal, it, it changes the way that you interact with people. Your, your walls begin to go up, and then we begin to make statements such as this. I will never let anyone hurt me like that again. I'll, I'll never let something like that happen to me again. I'll, I'll never go through something like that again. Like, I've learned from it, I've grown from it, and I'm going to put these boundaries in place to ensure that it never happens again. While I understand that, here's the problem that, that's connected to that. The problem with that is what we've just done is we've created an inner vow. And what an inner vow is, is a promise that doesn't include the grace of God. So then we have this vow, this commitment, that even when God sends people into our lives, we're making them pay the bill that their past has already made the bill for. We're making them pay for the sins of the past. We're making them pay for the pain of the past because we have these barriers and it changes the way that we walk around things. Abram, from Genesis 12, he hears a word from God and immediately gets up and begins to follow God. But after experiencing enough disappointment, when God confronts him again, Abram is like, look, man, I followed you. I left, I left the Chaldees. I left the home of my father. I, I, I followed you. But now that I've dealt with so much disappointment, I'm walking differently now. 
I'm, I'm walking more cautiously now. I'm walking more fearfully now. I'm walking with a little more anxiousness now. I'm walking with a little bit more, um, with a little bit more hesitancy now. And now what can happen in those moments is where we used once to have this idea is that I walk by faith because God said it, we begin to say, I will walk once I see it and then I'll believe it. When I see it, then I'll start walking in it. And then when I start walking in it, that's when I'll start to believe it. But the, the will of God for all of our lives is that we are called to believe it and walk until we see it. Such a huge difference. We have to change the way that we walk. We have to shift into being people that walks by faith. The question that I have for you, what is the thing that you need to shift the way that you walk in? What are the barricades that you put into your life because of past pain that has changed the way that you walk, where you don't walk with confidence? You don't walk with boldness. You don't walk with anticipation. You don't walk with anticipation. You don't walk with, well, you don't walk with a vision for the future. You're walking fearful because of the pain of the past, and I believe that's not the God's best for your life. God wants you to have wisdom. He wants you to certainly consult other folks to give you a perspective of what he wants to do in your life, but he doesn't want us to walk by fear. He wants us to walk by faith. We're going to have to shift into being people that changes the way that we walk. The, the second thing I want to share with us is that we have to shift our mindset. We have to shift our mindset. Romans chapter 12, verse number two says, that, do not be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let, let me give us a, a breakdown with that, what it's ultimately saying. We are made in the image of God. But what it says is that after we live long enough, we then begin to be conformed into the image of the world. Here's, here's what that ultimately means. To be conformed means to be molded to the pattern. Molded to the pattern. So when we were created, we're created to be a representation of God's love, his character, his nature to a world that needs to see it. But if we live long enough, we can then begin to compartmentalize and begin to fit into the molded patterns of the world. We begin to live according to the patterns of our parents. We begin to live according to the parents, to the patterns of, of, of our philosophies. And dare I say, we begin to live according to the patterns of our politics. We allow those things to then begin to cause us to be conformed to the image of the world. But the Bible says that we are called to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. It's actually talking about our mindset because our mind is what we think. Our mindset is how we think. How we think. How do I think about these things? It's not what I think in a moment because it's easy to convince someone to change their mind in a moment. Changing their mindset is changing the way that someone thinks altogether about a specific thing. If you talk to anyone who may have been walking with God for any period of time, they may have had a mind set on one thing, but then after enough time, they begin to change their mindset. I see this differently now. I think about this differently now. I have a different perspective on this now. Our brains are so powerful. They're like supercomputers. And what ultimately happens after much repetition, what ends up happening is our brains create these neural pathways that are a reflection of our behaviors. But the Bible says that if we have unhealthy pathways, unhealthy exposure, it creates unhealthy patterns. But the Bible also instructs us that it's possible to create new pathways, to create new patterns, to have a new way that we think about things. But that only happens through repetition and adequate exposure. We got to see something different, and then we have to repeat it over and over again. And then it actually carves out a new neural pathway in order for us to begin to establish new rhythms. And they literally say that it's 21 days to establish a new habit. Maybe you've heard that before. What that means is it's establishing a new mindset. 
where the first day you go to the gym is awful, but after you've been doing it consistently, your mindset shifts, and then what you used to hate becomes something that's a rhythm that for you to do. This is why we engage God's Word daily, because it helps to renew our mindset. This is the reason why we're connected to community, because it allows us to re-engage our mindset. This is why even in this season of pandemic, we have so many folks that when the pandemic shut down going to church, it changed people's mindset on the value of gathering together with believers. So now we're in the process of trying to help people to re-engage and shift their mindset and understanding the value of coming together with the body of saints instead of allowing that season of the past to be the way that we think God has called us to gather together. It's making sure that we understand that we have to renew our mindset. See, the thing is that Abram had a very linear mindset. He's looking at his reality and he's saying, I'm getting old. I don't have a child, so I'm going to have to adopt somebody else and allow them to inherit everything that I have. But God says, I need to, I need to show you something different. I need to give you a different perspective. So God walks him outside and then tells him to look up into the sky, that God had to expose him to something different because it's so hard to have dreams beyond what you've seen. So God had to expose him to something different to give him a different mindset, to begin to establish his vision beyond just thinking the way that he was thinking. What many believe is that because there was no light pollution, that when Abraham looked up into this night sky, that he would have seen over a trillion stars. That's inclusive of the Milky Way galaxy and the Andromeda galaxy. Imagine that for a moment. Abram was so busy thinking about the one child he was looking for, and God was saying, I literally have trillions for you. Isn't it beautiful to know that God's dream for us is bigger than our dream for ourselves? Isn't it amazing to know that God's vision for us is so much bigger than our vision for ourselves? That God's vision for us is always going to be bigger than our comfort. God takes him outside and tells him to look up. I got so much more for you, but you have to change your mindset. You have to change the way that you think about some things. It's so hard to have a vision in a dark room. So God takes him out of his comfort zone and shows him something beyond he can ask or think. This is what Paul's talking about when he says, eyes haven't seen and ears haven't heard and neither has entered into the hearts of men what God has prepared for those who love him. I believe that that's a prophetic word for some of us right now because we've been in neutral. There's been some things that we've downsized a little bit and we begin to downgrade our dreams. But just because the job didn't work out, because the business didn't work out, stop thinking so small. God is saying, I want to get you out of your comfort zone and I want to show you something bigger. Look up into the sky, fix your eyes on Jesus and allow that to be the foundation that fuels your dreams and your imagination. This is what God is inspiring his people to do. I want you to shift the way that you walk, but I also need you to shift your mindset. Here's the third and final thing I want to share with us, that we also need to shift our ways. Shift our ways. We all have ways that we like to do things. We all have ways that we like to function. But many of us know, according to Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16, that God's ways are not our ways, that God's thoughts are not our thoughts, that God's way of doing things is always going to be different than our preferred way of doing things. If you look at the, the teachings of Jesus, it's always going counter to the culture. When you look at his teaching of Beatitudes, he actually starts the phrases off like, you have heard it said this, but I say unto you this. What he's doing is he's saying that you have a way that you've been told you're going to accomplish these things, but let me update your program and let me show you the way that it's actually going to come to pass. He says, I have a different way that I want to show you how things are going to take place. Changing, changing our ways, understanding that God has a different methodology than what we have. 
I, I remember in my house um, a few months ago where I called myself trying to, to help out around the house. So I decided, I took it upon myself, I'm going to do the dishes and I'm also going to wash all of the clothes. Big mistake. Because apparently there's a right way to do it. And by right way, I mean Megan's way. And apparently, Megan's way and the right way seem to be beautifully synonymous. It's interesting how that works. Um, so I, I, I do it my way, but then there's a moment where Megan comes home and she's like, what in the world has happened? Again, Scripture, there's a way that seems right, but it ends in destruction. Everything that I thought was a good idea, it turns out that it wasn't a good idea. I thought putting the dishes up, up, up this way was good enough. No, apparently there's a certain way you got to do it. Hanging the clothes up aren't good enough. I got to color code the hangers that they get hung up on. Like, you guys pray for your pastor because it's not easy in a Pittman household. There's a way to do things. I'm talking to some of my husbands out there who are too afraid to show me, but I know in solidarity you're with me. Those things, those moments, there's one because his wife isn't here. Um, um, I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing. I wouldn't even let her know it was you. Um, but there's a way that seems right. As, as funny as that is, there's so many ways that we think seems right in our own lives. There's ways that we think are the best way to do things. But God will often interrupt our regularly scheduled program and say, okay, that's great, but here is my way. My way is always going to be the better way. Abram was used to doing sacrifices up to this point. He's done them multiple times. He's actually accredited for being the individual who's built the most altars where sacrifices took place. He's had his own rhythm and method of doing them. But in this instance, God tells him specifically the way that he wants it done. Bring me the cows, bring me the the goat, bring me the ram, bring me uh, the pigeons, and bring me a dove. And this is how I want it done. This is the way I want it done. Abram was no longer able to just do it whatever way he wants. Sometimes I think that we allow grace to negate discipline. The grace of God is there, so that means I can do whatever I want. God is a God of grace, but he's also a God of standards. There's a way that he wants things done. There's a way that we honor him. There's this moment where, where Abram lays out these, these sacrifices before God, and it's meant to usher in the presence of God. But something very interesting takes place. Scripture says that, that birds of prey sweep down, and they begin to try to eat the carcasses. Birds of prey, they're, 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 they're nourished on death. It's not life-giving. Like, I eat and I'm nourished by the things that are causing destruction. They, they're nourished on toxicity. Now, stick with me for a moment. Abram had laid these things out to give it to God, but it brought in the attention of the enemy. Have you ever had a moment where you've laid something out to give it to God, but it seems to attract the enemy's attention? You've, you've laid your marriage out to honor God, but the enemy seems to swoop in on him. You've, you've laid your finances out to honor God, but the enemy swoops in on it. You've, you've laid your time out to give it to God, and the enemy swoops in on it. Even our appetites during this time of fasting and praying, we lay it out to give it to God, and literally every commercial dealing with every food that you've ever wanted to eat all seems to inundate us all at the same time. Here's the point. The enemy is attracted to the things that belong to God. The Bible says that when Abram sees this, that he recognizes that the enemy is trying to consume what's supposed to bring God glory, and he makes a decision, a calculated decision, to drive the enemy away. He, he, didn't, go on to, he didn't go on to Facebook or Instagram to consult a bunch of opinions. He, he didn't go on to Google. He didn't consult what anybody else had to say. He recognized that the enemy was trying to consume what belonged to God, and he drove them away. And the way that he drove them away is he lifted up his voice, and he began to make large gestures to scare the enemy away. That sounds a lot like worship to me. 
There's moments in our lives that when we recognize that the enemy is active in something that belongs to God and something that is supposed to give glory to God, that our response is not always to consult a million people. Our response is to simply lift up our voice and give God some praise with an expectation that my praise is going to drive the enemy away. The Bible tells us that God inhabits the praises of his people. And there are moments where the enemy is trying to come in and consume your marriage. He's trying to consume your mentality. He's trying to consume your health. He's trying to consume your finances. He's trying to consume your livelihood. And I absolutely understand while there's moments we need to sit back and pause. But God has never caused us to be people that throw pity parties. He's called us to be people that operate with power and demonstration. And that is what our praise and worship is supposed to do. We're going to have to shift our ways. The ways that we're going to be victorious in this season is learning how to worship God through it all. Worship God when it doesn't make sense. Worship God when you're in a deficit. Worship and trust God even in the middle of your discomfort and pain. Abram was able to recognize that the thing that's going to defeat the enemy is my praise. My praise is a weapon that destroys the enemy's influence in my life. It's making the choice that I'm going to worship God no matter what. Changing our ways, finding moments that we still honor and put God first. Genesis chapter 17 tells us that, that when Abram is now in this season where he's getting a little bit older, that God appears before him again. And he says, you are no longer going to be Abram. I'm calling you Abraham. He went from being the exalted father, which is what Abram means, to being Abraham, which means the father of nations. That God literally upgraded or shifted his identity because of his faithfulness. When we look at the connection between Abram and the ham, the Abraham, that ham ultimately means an increase that comes because of the hand of God. That means that the increase that Abraham was looking for, it happened because the hand of God was on his life. I need someone to grab a hold of this right now. The hand of God is on your marriage. The hand of God is on your family. The hand of God is on your health. The hand of God is on your finances. The hand of God is on everything that you've been worrying about. And if we can understand that the hand of God is with me, I'm no going to respond to Abram because I'm called to be Abraham. There's a big vision that is so much bigger than my comfort. There's a vision so much bigger than where I'm at. That is the beauty of the gospel. That is the beauty of what God has allowed us to walk into. Shifting gears means shifting the way that I think, shifting the way I walk, shifting my ways and understanding that God God's hand is on my life, and because of that, I'm able to make room and make a difference and make impact. With every head bowed and with every eye closed, I want to pose this question to us. Maybe you're in here with us today, and, and you know that right now you're away from God. And the thing that you need to get into gear, the thing that you need to begin to really invite God into is your walk with Him, period, is inviting God into your walk. Maybe you're away from God. Maybe you just take inventory, you realize that you're not where you want to be with God. I believe that today is the day of salvation. I believe that today is a moment where we can make a decision to shift some things around in our lives. Even if you're joining us online, I want you to be a part of this moment. So if that's you, and you believe that this is the moment that, that God's been leading you to, you're not here by accident, and you know that you need to shift into saying yes to Jesus, on a count of three, I want you to boldly lift your hand up so I can include you in this prayer. One, two, three. Amen, 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 amen. God bless you, amen. I'm so proud of every single one of you. Church, can we put our hands together for everyone in this room and even those online who are saying yes to Jesus, possibly for the first time. 
In a few moments, uh, my daughter Daenerys is going to come up and give you some instructions on ways that we can come alongside and support and help you as you begin this faith journey. I want to pray for you in just a moment, but before I do that, I also want to pray for some other folks. Uh, as I said earlier, I believe there's three people in this room, people who've been in neutral, people who are in the wrong gear, and people who need to, people who need to downshift to engage where the power of God is. Remember, downshifting is not downgrading. It's just simply engaging where the power of God is in your life. Maybe you need to make a shift to some area in your life, an area where you just haven't been getting any traction, some area where it seems like you can't move any further, or some areas where you just don't seem like you have power. If that's you, I want to include you in a prayer as well. Trusting and believing God to give you the power where you are. Would you be bold enough to lift your hands up and say, yes, include me in that prayer? Amen, 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 amen. Hands up everywhere, inclusive of mine. I want more, I want more power. Let me, let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord. First and foremost, that you're good, that you are our provider and that you are with us. And Lord, I pray right now um, in the power of the name of Jesus for every individual in here under the sound of my voice, those who are watching online that have made the decision to say yes to you. God, I pray that you come alongside them, that your spirit will, will encompass them, God, that you will order their steps in the name. Of, I pray that they get connected to strong, healthy, godly community, that they take the steps necessary so they can begin to be conformed into the image of the Son. Father, I also pray now for all the rest of us, um, all of us, God, who are in some areas where we need to get out of neutral, areas where we don't have any traction, areas where we don't seem to be able to, we put a lid on our potential and where we're called to go, and areas where maybe we're not engaging your power because our ambition has outpaced our assignment. Father, wherever we are, I pray that you give us the grace, one, to recognize what gear we need to be in, two, the strength and capacity to shift into it. Father, we're a church and we're committed to shifting into the gear where your power is. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray a blessing over your people, that you're with us, that you're strengthen us and allow us to identify our gear, shift into it, and trust what you're going to do in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and review and share what you've heard today. If you'd like more content like this, or you'd like to connect with us, go to celebrationorl.org. We hope you join us next time.